0: This is The Shift Podcast.
1: Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, do you even care about the Olympics anymore? Our shift heads weigh in on that conversation. Are you okay with hot dog buns being equal to your wieners? Mm -hmm. Life's real hard, right? And this is one of the hard things. Plus, it goes a little sideways, as we do on The Shift. How about post-prison proposals? We fight wildfires with Wayne Coulson of Coulson Aviation and uh, Coulson Air Tankers. What do water bombers do today? How's the technology work? What obstacles do they face in Canada? And the International Dispatch, we touch base with Chris Gilbert, live from Tokyo, Olympic-level COVID-19 drama. Plus, because it's the shift, some drunk buffaloes. Do you even care about the Olympics anymore? We have a big long list of text messages here and uh some comments and and then some pieces for you here so do you want the olympics do you even care at this point trucker kevin says i care and want hawkins cheesies and cheesecake more than the olympics yeah in all fairness though cheesecake and hawkins cheesies are very very good
2: and you could argue they are close to being the color gold close so it's kind of like your own edible gold medal so win win
1: that's a very that's a stretch for the glasses half full but I accept it well done thank you um, hi guys no the Olympics are a joke and I wish they would get cancelled forever they have fuller they are full of greed and politics thank you Scott in uh, in Calgary for that one Greg says move the Olympics here we can handle it it's just a few time zones for the athletes just get ready for folks who don't want to go back home. Ha ha from Greg. I don't know if that was the tone of his ha ha or if I was just putting myself on his text message, but I'm just trying to interpret. I, I don't know. Would you take them back in Vancouver? I know like in Calgary, it it was a lot of money, man. It's a lot of money lost. And maybe there's a Calgary Vancouver hybrid thing in the future. Some of the old facilities aren't even big enough. This is just an anecdote that someone told me from Canada Olympic Park. But even the old ski jump, which is particularly iconic on the western skyline of the city, there's a zip line they use for the ski jump now. They can't even use it anymore because today's jumping and technology goes so much further, they would land where it's flat, is what I was told. So things have changed so much, they can't just reuse the old stuff. I don't know, man. <sighs> Lloyd in London. Yes, I care about the Olympics. The beer drinking Olympics. I train every weekend. Thank you, Lloyd in London. <laughs> um, I like this text message. Uh, it actually got cut off. It's a little long, but it got cut off. But I'll get the part that's there. I think we'll get the, uh, the basics here. RE, the Olympics. Hi, Shane and shift crew. I like watching the Olympics. Not all the events, but some. I think it's an interesting way to see how humanity evolves. Old records are broken and new ones set the bar higher. In some cases, literally, actually. For the most part, I feel it's a worldwide distraction from what is truly important and what's going on around the world. Also, it frustrates me to be honest and angers me that it always puts the host country of the Olympics in major debt. And that's just it. It's so expensive. How can they They keep adding sports to make it more appealing for a current audience? At the same time, it doesn't seem like anybody wants to make it cheaper. 877-399-9898. Um, let's go to Jim, who's in Vancouver. Hey, Jim.
3: Hi. I'm all for it. What are it. your thoughts,
1: Jim? Do you even care? You're all for it.
3: I'm all for it. Most people don't understand oh, how much uh, the Olympics and the IOC gives back to sports, including sports yeah. not on the medal programs. Um, You you just said something about uh, they keep adding more sports to the Olympic Games. They don't. Mm -hmm. They excuse some sports that aren't very happy when they leave, uh, but there's uh, a limit to the number of sports, and there's a limit to the number of athletes, and there's a limit to the number of people like coaches who can come, and they established that limit years and years ago, because the Olympics got Mm -hmm. too big for even a country like the United States to handle. Uh, The limit is 10,500 athletes. So, um that's the first thing the second thing i hear is uh the the love that some people have and i can't blame people who are feeling frustrated during COVID for thumbing their noses it's something that looks like a a great big monument to uh to superiority but the uh, the ioc and the olympics really are i think superior um, the people who run the ioc aren't monks or anything um, but they are, and I can tell you this for a fact, they're very experienced athletes and they're very experienced business people who devote a lot of time without making a lot of money at it for themselves to produce a lot of value for large numbers of the world's athletes. And they do that more than any other organization. They're not a for-profit outfit, and what they get, uh, they by and large distribute out again. The talk about uh, monetizing the Olympics and trying to just do some simple sums and saying, oh, look, uh, more was spent than was taken in, it's always misleading. Because every Olympics galvanizes huge numbers of people worldwide into taking up sports they see in the Olympic Games. And if you ask any sport leader, for example, any sport leader at Sport BC, what happened in Vancouver or around the province or wherever, During the Olympic Games, they'll tell you that immediately enrollment in all sports programs soars. Far more people get out and get involved in sport at every level, beginners to high performance levels. And finally, when you want to talk about the facilities, uh, nobody these days would be without the Richmond Oval. And in particular, the Calgary facilities made money, repeat, made a profit every year except one for the first 20 years that they were there made
1: a profit mm-hmm. well but see the catch here the, first of all thank you jim very well thought out i think that's fantastic to my point about the sp- adding sports is it's a lot more expensive to do snowboard half pipes than it is to do standing high jump, so they can keep putting sports in and taking sports out. Yes, but they're not always the same cost. That's my point. The dueling pistol is also a lot cheaper than some of the ones uh, like old ones like tug of war, which was also in there, which is a lot more expensive in today's world. So I, I get that, and I'm not debating it at all. But I can tell you this: the wind sport can't afford to function today as a facility. It might have made money for 20 years. The Olympic Oval in Calgary is a dynamite facility to this day, but Winsport is operating at a deficit, and they are every year having to deal with potentially shutting things down and tearing things down. So it doesn't always work out in the end, and it does become somebody's problem eventually. And I will even add to your point that as far as I could always tell and what I was always told as a resident of Calgary since the early 90s, Mm-mm. that... The, ec- the economy in Calgary really soared post Olympics. It really did. So, I mean, the economic thing uh, impact can be very strong in many different perspectives on it. So, yeah, I think you got a great point. Um, it, just for clarity, the only reason why I offer those, um, I don't uh, mean to diminish your point at all.
3: Did you see the latest sport they're going to add to the Paris Olympics? No, what's that? Breakdown, which requires oh no yeah, money. I did,
1: I did see that. Cheap,
3: cheap, well, and popular. <laughs>
1: Well, Jim, you there still have you to know. buy the piece of cardboard to put on the sidewalk before you break that. So. <laughs> I'll buy the
3: cardboard. Thanks for your time.
1: Awesome. Hey, Jim, thanks for the well-thought-out uh, share. I appreciate that. You're Jim in uh, Vancouver right there, sharing his thoughts about the Olympics. I think he brings up a good point. Inspiring young people. Maybe that's worth considering. Young people who are spending their days you know, playing with Lego, buying sneakers, and playing video games, maybe those young people just play sports.
2: Hey, hey, hey. Well, I will say I have a skateboard that does not have wheels on it, and there is skateboarding at this year's Olympics. So, maybe yeah. just maybe I will injure myself learning a skateboard sometime soon. That's one sport I will watch.
4: What Olympics about in, what about inspiring will... the, Oh, sorry. What about inspiring the older folks who are training for the beer Olympics with the Hawkins Cheesies?
1: Mm, right? Inspire what would that them.
4: look like Yelling match and up Ryan,
1: up. you you have to you have to be honest. The only sport you're going to play is rent an electric scooter sport. <laughs> That's love the that
2: truth. Yeah, I'd probably learn how to do like one skateboarding trick. and be ah. Oh. I'm tired. I'm going to take an e scooter home. <laughs> <laughs> I need a nap.
1: <laughs> all right. Another text message comes in and says, Hell no. Don't care for the Olympics. Leave the hosting city millions of dollars in debt for decades, and they don't even have the televised rights for the games. That belongs to the IOC Crooks Shift Head in Winnipeg. Um, I think that, to, to Jeff's point in Vancouver, I think there's a lot that we all have to learn in regards to what this all looks like in regards to the long-term impact, very well thought out stuff. There definitely has to be some efficiencies built into the way the Olympics are done. The fact that every four years it's a brand new city and brand new facilities and all those things. I did sort of like the idea that was batted about, about, you know, having sort of Olympic hubs around the world where the Olympics would be here, you know, Calgary one year, and then it's down in, I don't know, Japan the next year, and then it's over somewhere in Europe the year after. It just kind of rotates around. And if somebody wants to get on in that rotation, then they just build the facilities and become a hub. I mean, I, I that to me has always been, seems to me to be incredibly efficient. Our question that we've asked for you at 877-399-9898, do you even care about the Olympics anymore? Um. Henry from Mississauga says, I agree with Scott from Calgary. Cancel the Olympics for good. It's a waste of time and money. Plus, there's too much politics in the Olympics. Don't be surprised if an athlete gets arrested in China next year for saying something about the Chinese government. Yep, I wouldn't surprise me. But that's not an Olympic problem, right? That's a China problem. So as much as we would like to say that, you know, that's the Olympics, that's not the Olympics. The Olympics are supposed to be non-political, Yes. Like nothing to do with politics, no political statements, nothing. But they've always been sort of subtly, had these subtle undertones, and that's that's a China problem. Uh, Greg is in Lucan. Greg, how are you?
5: I am fine. How about yourself?
1: Hello? Good, thanks, Greg. We're just a little up against the clock here, brother, so share me your thoughts on, uh, yeah. on uh, Olympics. Do you care?
5: Yeah, well, in 1976, uh, I was 16 years old, and I attended the uh, Montreal uh, Olympics. I went to see a couple events there. Uh, I was young at the time, and I've I, I definitely seen uh, the Olympic Games as, as being represented a little bit differently. Uh, now, now I see it as once every four years the world pretends that all is well between all nations, right? And then for two weeks everyone holds hands and sings Kumbaya around the Olympic torch campfire. It's a little bit hypocritical to me uh, because a lot of these nations in attendance are in conflict with each other at the time of the Olympics. And then aside from that like everyone else uh, voices their opinion the debt on the nations that is ultimately put on the back of the citizens and for me right now in the world we live in I say take care of your people first every nation before you commit to having these games okay and furthermore fix the world so when the world gets together at the Olympics it's actually a statement of what it should be world peace everybody working in unison right that's the way i see it so thank
1: you very much greg
5: okay I well i think that that's
1: the intention greg the intention is to take those uh these moments of conflict and they get set aside in the spirit of sport i mean so to your point i think that it i think that's what they do try to do is they try to set aside that and and geopolitics doesn't mean all the people hate the people and um you know i so maybe that's the example that the world needs is is that the olympics are there Thank you very much for the phone call Greg 8773999898 and you know fix the fix the the, the people and fix your countries yeah i I'm, I'm all for that we do sit in this place though where that's our responsibility as constituents right we need to vote in the governments so the thing that i that i take from from that perspective though is that we're waiting for someone to fix our country before we can have the olympics Which I would suggest would be the other way around. I, not to, up to debate, Greg. I just see it a little differently, buddy, is that the Olympics could set the example of what international relations, relations could look like. And it's our job as citizens to fix the country anyway. And we're not, we're, we slough it off on the, you know, the politicians to do it and we wait for them to fix it for us. So I don't think that it's, that's even possible. Although I fundamentally agree. How beautiful would it be, Greg? And I think this is where you nail it. How beautiful would it be to have the Olympics be a celebration of world peace? How beautiful would it be to have the economics of the world in a place where the Olympics could be the splurge of, you know, of enjoyment and celebration? I think you nailed that part. Absolutely, man. Thank you very much for the phone call and all the text messages that come in. Um, I care about the Olympics about as much as I care about Justin Trudeau, (laughs) the text that comes in. Olympics doesn't have nice hair, just saying um god that's it for all those all the text messages good i got them all i was uh thinking that i'd skipped a couple there i like the idea of them being in athens always well, that's not a bad idea i mean i don't know what athens is like for downhill skiing that's problematic isn't it?
2: yeah they got the summer nailed but uh go to maybe pop over to switzerland on a flight do it there
1: uh, in Athens, average temperature in Athens, um, in December, about 20 degrees. Hmm. What about all months. In the winter? December's oh, eight degrees is the average
2: temperature. <laughs> oh yeah. That's not going to work. It's going to be it's a actually slushy downhill. Well, it's yeah. It's Mediterranean. It's not, that, it's uh, not, it's not like North Africa yeah. or anything
1: like that. The average high, uh, 32, 32, July, August. All right. So it's kind of like Canada. <laughs> These big beautiful the Mediterranean and all the things. I guess we got two coasts. We win. Three coasts, we win.
0: This is the Shift Podcast.
1: It is time for us to get into Are You OK? Are you okay with Shane not being ready and having to scroll for Are You OK?
2: Are you okay
1: with hot dogs?
2: Hot dogs?
1: Buns. Yeah. Hot dog buns. Oh. Hot dogs, hot dogs oh. and buns.
2: Yeah. Hot dog buns. Yeah. I'm
1: still thinking still thinking about The Last Emperor.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I'm probably going to watch that movie. Maybe,
1: maybe we should just try it, Try the whole show over again. Should we just start the whole show over again at this point? We'll, we'll take it from Olympics. We <laughs> were doing so well up until about five minutes ago. Yeah, the Olympic <laughs> stuff was fantastic. Like Jeff's call was great. Greg's call was great. And then this happened. Well, good thing this show's free because, boy, oh, boy, there'd be an awful lot of people demanding their money back. <laughs> Are you okay? Are you okay with hot dog buns? The best kind of
2: bun. Yeah, like a nice hot dog bun. It, it, it's the different, a hot dog is like a three out of ten if you're just using a loaf of bread, you know, like a bread slice, oh, it's and
4: it's ten out of ten and with it a bun. sticks to the roof
1: of your mouth. Exactly. just is
4: hot dog buns are like some of my favorite buns. That's for sure.
1: But you have to get the ones that are made in store or at the bakery, because if you buy the ones that are just, you know, on the shelf for God knows how long they don't have much flavor, like a nice fluffy, really fresh, high quality bun for the, for the hot dog. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. It's Italian bread. Um, hot dog buns are delicious and crucial part of the hot dog experience period. Ryan says one issue though, though, really? That's how, (laughs) that's
2: how I spell though. Yeah. That's how I do it. One issue though.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's That's not a typo.
2: That's how millennials talk. No, I'm not counting that. Yeah.
1: No, no. That's, that's not an excuse. That's actually just wrong. Okay. Okay. One issue, T.H.O., when you buy the hot dogs, you never get the right amount of buns. It just doesn't add up. It's like the Illuminati on the wieners. An issue highlighted perfectly by Steve Martin in the movie Father of the Bride. Excuse
4: me, sir. What are you doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I want to buy eight hot dogs and eight hot dog buns to go with them. But no one sells eight hot dog buns. They only sell 12 hot dog buns. So I end up paying for four buns I don't need. So I am removing
6: the superfluous buns. Uh, I'm sorry, sir, but you're gonna have to pay for all 12 buns. They're not marked individually.
4: Yeah, you wanna know why? Because some big shot over at the Wiener Company got together with some big shot over at the Bun Company and decided to rip off the American public. Because they think the American public is a bunch of trusting nitwits who'll
7: pay for things they don't need rather than make us stink.
4: Well, they're not ripping off this nitwit anymore because I'm not paying for one more thing I don't need. George Banks is saying no.
1: I miss that old Steve Martin style of comedy. Right. It's perfect. Now he just plays the banjo on the Internet, although he's very good. He's excellent. Well, this whole hot dog and buns thing is uh, is a problem. We've all been through it. Might be a problem of the past, though, if Heinz gets its way. Heinz Ketchup Canada says in a new video, they have heard your cries and the cries of the Internet.
0: The hot dogs are sold in packages of 10, while there are eight buns to one bag.
6: What am I going to do with two leftover hot dogs? Make it make sense. Make it make sense to me. I want the
4: number of hot dogs
6: in a bag to be the same.
1: Well, the Heinz Company... um, the the company hasn't started an online petition has started that's a typo (laughs) there you go
4: that's a typo though that's a typo that's an
1: integral part of the
2: story (laughs) that's a big typo and it's still a correct word just wrong word
1: yeah um the company has started an online petition urging big bun and big wiener to get together to put 10 hot dogs <laughs> in a package okay. and 10 buns in a package. Oh, we're 13. Uh, there are over 12,000 signatures. <laughs> uh, according to CNET, the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council says only children should eat their hot dogs with ketchup. Clearly, the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council are run by people with no taste. Um, <laughs> Big bun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I'm literally <laughs> quoting them. It's in the video. It says that I'm laughing because I'm 13, but that's exactly how it's written.
1: Ah, uh, it is. That is exactly how it's written. I is there an actual An
4: actual uh, national hot dog and sausage council? Yes, though? there is. There is in America. Yeah, there is. Wow,
2: and in Canada too. Mm. But mm. I, I, the, ketchup is necessary on a hot dog. Ketchup and mustard. I, I don't get that.
1: Ah, uh, see, I'm just a mustard guy. Just give me the mustard. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, less sugar. Good for you, unless you're allergic to it, then not good for you. Are you okay? Are you okay with popping the big question?
4: Uh, yeah. It's a pretty you know important part if you want to get hitched to your beloved.
1: Well, it is something you're supposed to ask for in advance. You're not supposed to just assume. Say, by the way, we have plans at two. <laughs> Wear a dress. You'll- yeah, make sure it's white.
4: Just eating hot dogs one day and then just
2: <laughs> a hot dog wedding.
4: Go. I'll serve hot dogs at my wedding.
2: Honestly, yeah. why would I? Why would anybody want like a big fancy buffet when I can just say, "Hey, here's 300 Costco hot dogs. Thank me later." Barbecue. Oh
1: we can answer that question for you as two guys that um, have been married once before Um, because you go, this is, this is the politics of the wedding, right? The value of the gift you give is the value of the dinner you get. So if you're going to a place that's serving hot dogs, you're getting dollar store gifts. If you're going to a place that's got a big fancy dinner for you, then you're going to get the nice gifts. So, People are that shallow. They're like, I'm not giving them a nice gift. We're only getting hot dogs and salt and vinegar chips for supper. Just call called an American style buffet. Well, that's true. Everyone loves a good proposal story. This one is definitely unique. One man, surprisingly, not from Florida, proposed his girlfriend, proposed to his girlfriend just minutes after being released by police. Like an opportune time. Here's more from ABC7.
7: Down on one knee in the middle of the street, Keegan Castile proposing tonight outside Chicago Police District 18 headquarters. This strange twist on the near north side coming about two hours after the Iowa man bonded out of Cook County Jail. the 32-year-old is charged with two felony counts of aggravated, unlawful use of a weapon after authorities say they found a loaded rifle, a laser scope, and a pistol inside his Lakeshore Drive hotel room on July 4th. Tonight, Castile with no explanation. You have anything you want to say? But after an outfit change and a stop inside the police station, Castile making this gesture. A child calling out from this SUV's back seat. Castile then getting in the car, driven away by his brand new fiance after a proposal they're sure to remember. On the near north side, Jesse Kirch, ABC 7. <sighs> uh-uh. It's like huh. the kid was warning the mom.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Mommy? the girlfriend was also in the hotel room with the guns, and the kids were too. Prosecutors say Castile has an Iowa gun permit. Judge Navarro told him clearly we are not in Iowa. <laughs> and noted that the weapons found in the hotel room are now in police custody. Hey, what whatever, man? Love's love, man. Love doesn't matter how long you're locked up for, man. Doing time. Love is love. It's love. And guns. <laughs> it's love. And guns. Are you okay? What should anyone do, right?
2: Ooh, do mm. drive Oh No, do grooming. Do the grooming one. It's nice. Mm. It's a nice story.
4: Are you okay with grooming your pet? I mean, it's got to be done. You know, they just, you know, depending on what pet, kind of pet you have, they just leave, you know, a pet-sized deposit of hair around your apartment. Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: I like the videos yeah, of the dogs pad, really. screaming when they're getting their nails cut. Like, but they're overreacting. <laughs> like they're just so <laughs> freaking out, but they have nothing to be yeah. freaked out about. That those are pretty good.
1: Those are fun. You can see those on TikTok a lot. A few weeks ago, we shared a story of a dog that was found in the woods of a Kansas City, of Kansas City. That dog was abandoned and was found with six pounds of matted fur on him. It's lost for a long time. Luckily, he was rescued. As CNN's Genimus, our very favorite, of all of the genies of the world, uh, that hairy dog has a
6: new home. The before and after pictures were stunning. The video went viral.
8: Basically, my heart broke. I couldn't sleep that night.
6: The next morning, Vicky Warden showed up trying to adopt him. And when Vicki and Carl finally got to meet him...
5: Instantly started, you know, kissing on us.
6: Now he has his forever home, joining their three other rescues, Shih Tzus and a Shih Tzu mix... All girls.
3: He has his little doggy harem, um,
0: so he they all get along really well.
6: He also has a new name, Logan, as in the X Men. Logan the Shih Tzu still has a minor issue with his gait from carrying the weight of all that hair, and now he's developed a breathing problem, despite whatever neglect he endured. He's really chill. His favorite place to hang out and sleep is in Carl's closet. This dog that didn't have a haircut in months or even years will now go to the groomer every six weeks. Logan has a quirk that his owners find endearing. It's how he wags his tail. Probably due to how the hair weighed on it. Instead of going back and forth... He
5: basically wags one way.
6: But it wags a lot. We're hoping this is a tale with a happy ending. Genimos, CNN. ha <laughs> ha.
5: I love her.
2: Mm, pretty good. The video is great. The dog's tail literally just goes like it's twitching. It's, it's just so to cute. one side.
1: Yeah. That's fun. The six pounds of fur was on him and, uh, it was, it was a lot. Like it was nasty. Now that video was posted to TikTok and here you want to see the benefit of TikTok. Cause we've had some TikTok guests on the impact of TikTok. That video of that dog with the hair 30 million times it was viewed before he was adopted. Jeez. So pretty Easy. cool stuff. Anyway. I love Jeannie most. And if you don't know what that is, that's cool. We do. And we love it.
0: It's the Shift Podcast.
1: I remember when I was a kid and I lived in Cameron Heights in Port Alberni. If you're from the island, you know Port Alberni, you know Cameron Heights. And I remember when the big Hawaii Mars and Martin Mars water bombers would land in the inlet, scoop up water, and off they would go. The whole... Uh, the whole place would stop and watch well there's a, there's a man and his, his family have invested heavily not only in um you know water bombers which is almost an old term with the technology changing so much today um but in that community and so much more and it's wayne colson now i wanted to invite wayne to come on because uh colson as a name going to be very familiar for many people in BC, especially on the island. And isn't it strange that it's incredibly familiar around the world, but not necessarily across Canada in some places, for firefighting, fire suppression, all of those things. Big, those big old water bombers that you see on the TV specials. Um, Helicopters, big jets, and little planes, and all of these things to fight fires all over the world. And since it's so dry... What a great opportunity to introduce you to Wayne Coulson. Thank you for
8: being here, Wayne. It's great to see your face. Uh, Very good, Shane. Hey, thanks so much for having us today.
1: So um, I don't know where you want to start. Like you guys have, um, you have some helicopter, well, a helicopter coming back to work in Canada. Uh, Normally they're out and about and you've shared with me, you know, Chile and Australia and California and all these different places where you guys work. Um, So tell us maybe a quick update before we get into the firefighting nerdiness that we can geek out about um tell us a little bit what you've been up to
8: yeah well, well thank you yeah well since the the mars days you know we um we converted our first c-130 in 2013 uh was the c-130 hercules with the four thousand gallon tank and um, picked up a contract with the united states forest service and continued to build the business around the u.s uh side of the the house where we had, um, now we have a couple C-130s. We have a Boeing 737 that we've converted, the first one in the world, to an air tanker, 4,000 gallons. We sold our second aircraft to the um, state of New South Wales, the Australian government. Now we currently operate their state fleet, which is a 737, a couple of uh, Citation uh, Intel jets and some helicopters. And then we've um just recently uh got into the Chinook the c 47 which is a 3000 gallon helicopter which is the biggest in the world for as a heli tanker and uh continue to build our business around um high impact aircraft in in the world and so we've you know built the business about 8 months a year in 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 the United States we go down for uh, every winter down to Australia we've been there for 19 years uh in Oz and we've been um uh, Uh, the third year going into Chile and we become the biggest operators in all three of those countries with the various types of aircraft between the fixed wing side, the rotor wing side, and uh, now Intel jets, when Intel helicopters that we're currently running uh, in the LA basin.
1: So Intel jets, Intel helicopters. um, I always think back to the old bird dog days, if you will, of the old big uh, planes you know, water bombing and bird dog planes for as scouts. Now you have all kinds of computer power, uh, literally volume of water and retardant isn't always the answer. So how has it changed from bird dogs and like big ass tankers into um, surgical precision and technology?
8: You know, and, and, and you, you hit the nail on that. It's, it's technology. We're moving away from the carpet bombing, a fire, to more uh, precision based. And we're using our Intel aircraft uh, to communicate with the tanking systems on the helicopters and the airplanes to more precision, put the load where the load is needed. A lot of these areas where we work, um, you know, you get one shot at, at dropping a load of water, or load of retardant. And if you miss, someone's gonna lose their home. And <clears throat> that's why the customer is, is migrating to technology based firefighting, which is what we're at the forefront of. And we, we continue to develop.
1: It's cool. Do you ever sit back and just go, Whoa, this is amazing.
8: You know, it's, um, it, it's interesting as you know, um, from Port Alberni, we started in the timber business. And one of the things that taught us is that, um, you know it's it's uh very intense to survive as a small business in 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 the world of companies bigger than yourselves and we were able to take a lot of that those that time that we've learned of survival and put it into the air tanker role and and the helicopter business and you're running at the same intensity that we had to do every day and fire is is fascinating because we're meeting so many special people um the chiefs of orange county la county ventura county where You know, a fire goes 30 minutes and, you know, you're into people's homes and you're into people's lives are threatened. And then we're working with uh, the states, uh, California, and we're working with um, the the U.S. Forest Service, which is out in the wildland. So, you know, there's all these different levels of firefighting and and every customer has a little bit of a different need. Um, The Australians, Victoria State and in Sydney, you know, urban interface and wildland. And uh, so it, it's been a real learning experience and to take all that information in and when we're running with the only uh, hel- helicopter air tanker company in the world that runs both. So when we sit with a customer, we can go indirect attack with retardant or we can go direct attack with with water or gel. So again, two different tactics in fighting fire, but when we put it all together, we're They draw a picture for us of of what their needs are and then that's why we went to the intel aircraft above the helicopters and above the air tankers to give them our customer the situation awareness so they can make good decisions in supporting the firefighters on the ground at the end of the day we're doing this for the the first responders right they're the ones that need us the most and the and the taxpayers um you know and, and we just have to continue to provide technology and and tools in the toolbox that make them more and more and more effective against these wildfires.
1: Well, and th- and that's got to be a big part of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if if a community or county hires an air tanker company to come in and fight a fire, and they even misjudge by two days, that's a lot of dough, right? You do that a couple times, and you're probably not mm-hmm. getting reelected. Like, I mean, so it would be a very uh, that extra information would probably be incredibly important to say, hey, by the way, our firefighting bill this year was going to be twenty million, but turns out it was eighty.
8: Oops, that's not good. Yeah, and in the mo- in lots of cases, the the firefighting budget is fifty, and it turns out to be five hundred. Yeah, wow. And and then of course you can't get insurance for people's homes now. Yeah, because of because of the devastation. So that's the pressure and the intensity that that you know we have to run at and. And like everything, planning is key. And you know, we see some you know clients say want to save money by not being as prepared as they should be with larger aircraft, and fires get away. And kind of there, you got what you got. So um, how we've kind of looked at the business is, you know, we have a saying: you can't manage what you can't measure. So we've <clears throat> we've been able to increase our effectiveness in wildfire because we measure ourselves. We take lots of video of our performance and we measure our flight crews and we train with the flight crews and um you know that's that's just starting to happen in certain parts of the world measuring the performance of the aircraft so again just just uh, ongoing change and of course now we're leading the world in night flying which we've had extremely good success
1: so do you sleep at night though wayne i mean you put your head down at night and going you know we're just not doing I mean, we're getting the job done, but we can be so much better. I mean, does that, does that drive you, uh,
8: your, your brain wild at times? You know, I, I think that's, that's kind of an everyday. That's how we live our life. Like it's just not good enough. Every time we lose a fire <clears throat> or, you know, there's you, you people wake up in the morning and you see in the news, yeah, we didn't know where the fire was. Well, okay. You know, what kind of technology is needed to, um, to predict where fire goes right now, uh, our our program in the uh, Los Angeles Basin, we have the Super Heavies, one with Orange County, one with LA County, and one with Ventura County, and we, we dump fire maps into this, uh, it's called the supercomputer in San Diego University, and it's a fire prediction model. And so we drop a map, and within five minutes, we get a, a map back into the aircraft, where the fire is going to burn every 30 minutes, base, and it, it takes from uh, 400 weather stations in the LA basin sucks data and it <clears throat> blows it into a fire prediction model. So from an incident commander, he knows where that fire is going to go. So, you know, we're, we're making great strides in, in, you know, certain markets around Intel and how to be better and faster and quicker uh, for the uh, for the taxpayer at the end of the day, that's going to benefit.
1: Last summer I went camping in Penticton and that fire was burning across the lakes, skaha and, you know, you could see it over there. And ironically, you drive by the Penticton Airport and there's three big tankers sitting there. And then all of a sudden they take off and you're kind of thinking, oh, maybe something shifted. Everyone goes to the Lake Shore to watch them go over to where the fire is. Well, sure enough, they turn north, they go fly somewhere else and they went and take care of whatever they had to take care of. And then they come back. I mean, I we have one of our main contributors here on the shift. Uh, he lives in Penticton, actually a couple of blocks off the water there. And... That was very stressful for those people in Penticton. I'm sure everyone around Kamloops, what they've been through in the last few days, clearly Lytton, Lillooet, what they've seen. And there must be room for private enterprise to support. I mean, you as a business owner, it's your risk, right? Like you have to fill the whole year full of income and clients. But at the same time, there's got to be a way in Canada we can use private enterprise and that kind of private capital to be able to reduce risk and, and be better at this?
8: Well, they, they do. I mean, the government has now hired one of our <clears throat> aircraft. We, we phoned the government after the, 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 sad situation here up in BC and, and we called them and say, Hey, we, you know, we'll pull it off and bring it home if, if you need it. So they needed it, which was great. Um, but we're just one aircraft. I mean, everything is about preparedness and, and tactics and strategy. I guess the question is, is what is the preparedness? What is the strategy? when, when, you know, bad things happen, that's mm-hmm. really the question, right? Yeah.
1: Tell me about the nighttime stuff. Cause that to me sounds the, the most amazing. Cause I remember in, in Penticton last summer, there was an awful lot of talk about, okay, well th- this is the report until, you know, sundown and then everyone goes to bed. And then in the morning it's like, well, how did we do? That seems incredibly, yeah. uh, uh, quite the gamble in today's world.
8: Yeah, well, it was, it's a pretty cool story. Actually in Port Alberni, I remember, In 2009, there was a Black Saturday event in Australia where they lost 170 odd people perished in a matter of 12 hours. And we were there with our, we had four aircraft on those fires. And um, it was a stressful night. Everybody was 911. A lot of the fire, the, uh, the telephone lines, of course, and the communications were down. And they needed support during the night. And there was nothing available. We came back and my son and I. Uh, when the aircraft got home from Australia, <clears throat> we went and started playing out in the Alberni airport, you know, 11 o'clock at night, looking at, you know, what could we do? And could we, you know, could you see with night vision goggles? Could you actually, what could you see? What couldn't you see? We found out that you couldn't see uh spot fires, So we uh, put a, on the camera on one of our helicopters, we put a laser. So we shoot a, a laser beam the side of the car that the NVG goggles can see. And that's how we communicate. So we built a system into 2010, 2011. And by and we, and we had done about 15 different trials internally before we went to a customer. Um, we tried to get it on with BC, but they weren't interested. So we went to the Australians and they picked us up. And 2016, we were the first private company in the world to fight fire at night. We got a approval to run our program and we've had great success in Australia. We then pitched it to Orange County In 2019, they brought us back and put us in orange, and we had some great saves in the middle of the night. You know, drunk driver hitting the pole, Sandana event, 3 o'clock in the morning. We were there at 3.15, and we caught the fire, which was the good news. The fire prediction model was saying by 6.30 a.m., it was going to be 2,200 homes and 4,800 people were going to be affected. So it was going to be a massive fire, but we caught it. So, And that's what drove us into 2020 and 2021 now where we had documented evidence based on the intel that we provided using the supercomputer out of San Diego. You know, there we are at you know 5.30 in the morning, we're done, we're heading home, nobody knows, knows what happened. And the prediction was, you know, we were gonna be burning up a whole lot of chunk of Orange County. So that was what propelled that going through the, the counties and the chiefs and the, the politicians drove the current program we're into the basin now where, you know, it's hit it, hit it as hard as we can, as quick as we can with everything we got. And that's the program 24 hours a day we're running down in, in the L.A. basin now.
1: And I imagine the old mentality was, well, mm-hmm. we'll bring in the big ones if we need them, as opposed to, you know, let's, let's just well, get at it.
8: That, and, that's the, that, and that was the, the philosophy difference here in, the, in British Columbia. You know, the reason that the Forest Service, um, McMillan and at the time brought the Mars in because they wanted to hit the fires quick and they didn't have the air support from the province at the time, so they funded them privately. And of course, with timber, you had a lot to lose, right? And <clears throat> that was always the philosophy here on Vancouver Island, is no matter how big the puff of smoke was, go dump, you know, two Mars loads or 14,000 gallons on it as quick as possible. And that's what drove the success of the program for so many years, versus, you know, let's have, a, you know, right now you see a puff of smoke, they sent out an airplane. Uh, And then they dispatch a hand crew and then they send an aircraft maybe or maybe not. And then you have what you have. And then, you know, those can turn into campaign fires, which is really frustrating for the public. Um, So that's just the the difference in tactics, right? The, the people down in in the LA area, they're more onto the Mars. If it's a puff of smoke, it doesn't matter if it's a cigarette or if it's a campfire hit it with everything we got, because if it gets away on us, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect a significant part of people's lives.
1: Uh, it's amazing, the work and taking <clears> it on. And I will also acknowledge the amount that you've uh, kept the investment in Port Alberni um, with uh, teams and everything else, which is pretty cool for that community too. Uh, are the flying... Uh, now, one of the... Last time I was there, which is <laughs> COVID has me... My timeline's all messed up. Um, the mm. You had one of them out of the water and was blue and it was parked and you still had one of the flying boats in Sprout Lake. Is it still in the lake?
8: No, so we pulled it out, and we haven't flown it since uh, 2016. You know, we have a couple of guys that tinker away on it because we're still not sure, uh, you know, what we want to do with the aircraft. I mean, they're, you know, the one machine is in immaculate shape still, and we'd love to do something with it. I don't think it'll ever fight fire again. Now we've moved on to high-powered aircraft, you know, C-130s, 737s, you know, they're that can go fast. You know, we'll have uh, the 737, the ones in Australia, you know, we'll take a load of retardant from Sydney all the way to Perth, which is like from here to Toronto. Do a couple of drops and then come home at night. Wow. I mean, these, you know, they're these these aircraft that we've developed are uh, are just as impactful because they're just so so darn quick. Yeah. Um, so the Mars, but now if you had a fire in the lake, you'd want the Mars. There's nothing that'll touch it in the planet. it will yeah. put as much water. And I think that's what happened um, in the old days, right? Because the the relationship between the Mars program. And the the VC government was like the Hatfield and the McCoys. It was never a coherent relationship. It was always uh, combative to a degree. And, you know, we thought when we bought the program that we could, you know, we could uh, bring it around to uh, focusing on, you know, performance-based operation. And we just couldn't. Um, That that those those past days couldn't be repaired, but they were amazing airplanes. We had them in the, <clears throat> all kinds. We had them in Mexico. We had them mm-hmm. in, in California and, uh, you know, we've just, uh, they've done some great work in, in their day and taught us a ton about what to do and what not to do.
1: Is there a possibility of any air shows in the future for those old boats?
8: That would be one of the, um, uh, uh, the options we're looking at is is air shows for the Hawaii, uh, Mars. That would be, you know, there's like 24 air shows in a row down in the U S that we'd be, we've been, and we've been looking at that program, um, the good news, Shane, is we're so busy, you know, around the world building, you know, aircraft and the customers are liking the product. They're loving the technology that we're developing here. So we have a big R and D team, big tech team here that, um, we're, we're focused on. So, uh, you know, that's something kind of our weekend project is, is playing with the Mars, but, uh, you know, we, we stay pretty busy year around here.
1: Well, the network's growing. So maybe as the, uh, as the main focus of the work grows, um, the, uh, the network or the people will be a little nostalgic and invite you to come along. That's pretty yeah. awesome stuff.
6: Doing I really good.
1: appreciate the time, Wayne. Um, it's great to connect again yeah. and uh, and to have this. And and thanks for sharing a little bit of this. And, and, and the invitation is here to continue to do so on the shift, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, I would love to, as you guys do more, I think people, we as Canadians need to know more about what's going on, A, with the government and be with the private sector that's working hard to make things happen. We often just sit back as Canadians and citizens and go, come on, save me. But there's an awful lot of people working hard every day to, in order to innovate and create better solutions. And I think that's cool. So
8: please do. Great. Shane, thank you so much.
0: This is the shift podcast.
1: We reach across the planet, across the Pacific. It is time for the international dispatch.
4: Welcome to the International Dispatch, from our world citizen, live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert.
1: There he is, he's back after a a couple of days of doing other things, and uh, really Chris just wanted to wait until everything in Tokyo and Japan got completely locked up in state of emergency E before he came back on the shift.
9: Don't even get me started, like... The the things well, that are happening here are very few and like lots at the same time because I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, but like, honestly, like I, I, it's the, like there was a, there was a, um, a poll I think done about, uh, the, the new state of emergency, which is coming up on, uh, July 11th, I think it's starting and it's going to go to August 22nd. So it covers the entire Olympics. And I just asked people, um, you know, how much faith do you have in this pretty much? And 80% of respondents said they don't care anymore. 80% of people really? in Tokyo, or at least, yeah, are, are just like they're over it. Because it's, it's been so ad hoc. You know, like we had a state of emergency um, over the New Year's period when the numbers were about 2,500 a day, and then they went down to three or 400. Then we had a couple of weeks off. And then uh, for about two months throughout spring, there was a state of emergency here, which was really long and brutal because everything closed really early and there was no alcohol or anything, so you couldn't go out and drink. And then and then that was we've had a slight relief from that for a couple of weeks, but the relief has had these ridiculous rules, which is like, you can only drink alcohol in pubs between five and seven o'clock at night, and you can only drink it by yourself or with one other person for a maximum of 90 minutes. This, this ridiculous like nonsense and then after all of this to to only have like uh the, the government be like oh whoops our bad the numbers are going up again another state of emergency again and uh, like uh, you can tell i'm a bit ranty about this because i'm i well i feel like ranting but it, the thing is right that it's, it's not like you know australia where where it's like um oh we've, we've got 20 we've got a cluster of 20 cases Let's lock down and 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 stamp out those cases, right? It, it's, it's not even like the UK, where the UK is, you know, you know, goes back into lockdown every now and then to stamp out cases. It, there is no public health response going on here. It is solely about trying to lock people up at home while the Olympics are on. And I think people mm-hmm. now in Japan have realized that, oh, this is not in our interest. Um, this is not actually for us. This is not to keep us safe. The government is not trying to keep us safe. The government is trying to hold an international event and try and save as much face as possible. And uh, I think that's been uh, reflected not only in uh, that poll that was in the news, but also in the local, um, the toko- Tokyo local elections which were held out last week, which um, was kind of embarrassing for the, the federal government.
1: When you say state of emergency, sure I mean similar to like what we expect is like a lockdown here, I suppose, right? Restrictions, lockdown kind of thing. Basically, they're just a different terminology.
9: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think here it, there's instead of like a top-down approach, you have to take uh, a somewhat self-regulated approach to things. Um, so I think for Tokyo, you, you have to really like understand, I think, to begin with that Tokyo is a working city. Like uh, a lot of tourists come to Tokyo and they're not really sure what to do, uh, you know, because it's, it's not like a, a very fun city. It's, it's a working city. And so the, the fun things to do are to eat and drink. Like that's really it is you, you, you go to Izakaya and, and you drink a lot. And, um, and, and I think coming up the, uh, is the summer holidays, which is a huge deal in Japan. Uh, There's a huge number of uh, festivals and fireworks and traditions and everything that goes on at summertime. It's a huge part of the annual culture. And so, what the government is effectively saying is that's all cancelled. Like, you can't go out and have a drink after work. You have to hold on longer. You you can't socialize. You have to hold on longer. You have to cancel your holiday plans. You can't travel. You can't go to your local festival. Uh, You have to continue to self-regulate. You have to continue to limit your behavior. Meanwhile, all of the people that are coming into the country, uh, they're fine. You know, like the 11,000 athletes, you know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of who already have uh, tested positive for COVID. I think two people working at the Olympic Village have tested positive for COVID. I think the first uh, non-athletic staff member has come into the country has tested positive for COVID. you know, that's fine. We can hold that event. But, uh, you know, Rock in Japan Festival, a lot of the summer fest- music festivals are cancelled. Local summer festivals are cancelled. So I think it's just like continuing the grind, you know. It's, it's, it's discontinuing it and, and punishing, effectively punishing the public. <laughs> um, uh, and, and locking them up to um, hold a, an international event which nobody wants
1: yeah well isn't that the question so we're going to push pause right there on this and let's get this pack from global so we can get the storyline about what's going on um from exactly that the no fans thing chris so competitors at tokyo are going to miss out on being there uh delta covid-19 variants reported as spreading through the city crystal gomansing looks at how the ban could affect the athletes and how long this state of emergency in tokyo could last for
0: a warm welcome for British athletes arriving in Tokyo, but their Olympic experience will be like no other. <laughs> Spectators will now be banned under new emergency restrictions as COVID-19 infections here have reached a two-month high.
5: We'll uh, support uh, any measure uh, which is necessary uh, to have safe and secure Olympic and Paralympic uh, Games.
0: Until now, officials were unwavering in their position that the Games would be a display of triumph over the pandemic. But some experts say all of the changes to the Games may affect athletes.
3: For most top performers, it will feel
4: strange, and it may actually make them a bit concerned that they may not deliver their best performances.
0: Fans clad in flags, packed venues, and screaming spectators are a part of the Olympic experience. Swimmer Penny Alexiak had a record-setting Olympic debut in Rio. She knows Tokyo will be very different. I'm sure we're just gonna stay in a little bubble. It's not gonna be anything too, too exciting, but just to go is really really fun. The chance to compete is also key for sprinter Crystal Emanuel.
5: For me, I just stay focused on the goals at hand and you know put it to my team to, to get us there safe and back.
0: The Canadian Olympic Committee is consulting regularly with public health.
8: I think everyone is going in, uh, as they say, with their eyes wide open, recognizing uh, the risks involved and certainly uh, the epidemiologic situation in the general population, what's happening
7: generally in Japan, obviously, I think is very concerning for the authorities there.
0: The state of emergency in Tokyo is set to remain in place throughout the Games until August 22nd. It could be extended to cover the Paralympics as well. All a part of an experience unlike anything the world has seen before. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, London.
1: So, I mean, Canada is doing really uh, well now on the old vaccination front. And Japan is still way down the list, which that surprises me. So, Chris, wherever you want to go with this, I mean, the tone of the people, the lack of vaccinations. I mean, you just got your first one. And yeah. Maddie, you you're done too, right? You have both yours, Matt. Yeah.
4: Um, I'm just I still have one to go. Um, one to go. Yeah,
1: Chris. So Brendan has both, Ryan yeah. has both, I have both, Maddie has one, and you just got your first. So I mean, clearly yeah. things are are happening differently over there. So where where do you want to chat about this?
9: Look, I think the main thing here is that like vaccinations are, um, speeding up. I think about 70% of uh, like the elderly and the most vulnerable are um, now vaccinated throughout the country. Um, they think by the end of July, everyone who wants a vaccine uh, um, amongst that demographic will have received one. Um, I got mine earlier than most of the general population under 65 just by you know lack of happenstance. Um, and I'll be getting my second one in a few weeks. But I think, um, you know, I, I just want to say, like, I think for for my only real thought about this is that my my heart kind of goes out to like, not me, but like, you know, like the the people of Japan have been um, dealing with this a lot longer than even, you know, like we were in Vancouver, because I was in Vancouver when the pandemic started in Canada. Um, I had to remind myself this is a national show. Sorry, Shane. But yeah, like in Canada, I was in Canada no, when the pandemic started. Good. Um But and and you know in Japan everyone's been wearing a mask every day since February twenty twenty you know and they've been wearing that if they're not in their own house they've been wearing a mask they've gone through it'll be their second summer of thirty five degree days you know wearing masks and I think uh, what you are effectively seeing is um, people are are being asked to continue to not have a life um, even as vaccinations uh, increase. Um, and 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 the and uh, the uh, the general risk becomes more safe. I I've seen like in uh, Canada, a lot of my friends back there on Instagram. It seems like there's a weight lifting off the country slowly, and and pockets pocket by pocket, people seem to be enjoying their summer a little bit, and you know that grind is kind of you know like wearing off. I think hopefully for a lot of my friends back in Canada, but I think. For Japan, the government is continuing to ask them to um, keep it going for the Olympics and for the Paralympics, for which um, is, is not to keep them safe anymore, but um, to, I think, uh, make uh, an event which they nobody really benefits from, apart from the athletes and the organising committee, uh, but nobody here benefits from it, you know, really. So... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think until the state of emergency was announced, everyone was starting to get to the point where it was like, okay, the Olympics are definitely happening. Let's try and be happy about it. Let's try and be positive about it. Let's try and enjoy it. I like the Olympics, right? But then they, they, they lift it and then they drop it again and the state of emergency, and I, I think everyone is just broken. <laughs> yeah, It's like well, to if you have a some... parent that abuses you, you know, it's like you stop trusting them after a while.
1: Well, and that's kind of what it feels like. That's for sure. So and Ryan and yeah. I were just talking about that before the shift started was, you know, I don't know how much longer the trust is going to be there. So just to give some scope on numbers, there are more people in Japan than there are in Canada. And that's the determining factor here. 52 million doses have been distributed in Japan, 40 million in Canada. The difference being is that out of a hundred, it's 42 out of a hundred in Japan and it's 108 out of a hundred in Canada. Of course, keep in mind that that number should be 200. Out of a hundred based on the double doses. So, uh, you know, there's a big disparity in all that. Um, <laughs> I know this, I don't trust this number either, but in just cause I saw it, it's huge. Mainland China. Do you know how many, um, doses have been doled out in mainland China? 1.3 no billion doses. <laughs> and that's, they're not even halfway yet. Um, so the now does anybody like even is the Olympics that one topic that everyone just gets pissed off of in Japan? or is, no, is no, they just, just let it go it. pretend it doesn't happen yeah
9: yeah no nobody talks about it i mean why would you i mean i think um you know amongst my colleagues and my friends we might when we I have it you know like if i'm meeting somebody we might talk about it for like 10 minutes but then it's just depressing so it's sort of like and and that's sad right because the olympics like I watched a montage recently of like Olympic opening ceremonies just on YouTube. And I remember when I was a kid, I was a kid during like the the ninety six Atlanta Olympics and the two thousand Sydney Olympics and stuff and I really like the Olympics. I'm not an Olympic grinch. Like I love it. I love seeing it like usually you would never watch on TV. I never watched gymnastics mm-hmm. and I never watched synchronized swimming. So I really like enjoy the opportunity to see these these things, right? Um and I think it's just sort of like, um, I, I think it's regrettable that it, it's become, you know, like been trying to force a, a square into a circle-shaped hole so much that everyone's just kind of exhausted about it. So I, I no one is really talking about it to much extent. The, the main thing people are talking about uh, in terms of COVID, 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 COVID world is... Um, How are you doing? How are you coping? Are you keeping safe? um, Is your family safe? And have you received your vaccine yet? Um, The the Olympics (laughs) has not really um, come across the radar in people's daily lives. It's more of the backdrop in in which they are living their lives. And um, you know, every now and then it comes into the foreground, and and someone shoots a water gun and and an Olympic torch, and uh, you know, all the more power to that person.
1: Do you so I was going to ask you about that? Are the only water guns available in Japan the pew pew kind from the dollar store? Or yeah, because that actually, could not have yes. been a smaller water gun,
9: <laughs> the, the smallest water gun, but also like the most perfect metaphor for the whole thing, you know? It's just like taking yes. a leak on a wildfire, you know? Um, but no, actually, it, it, the, the, the caliber of water guns in Japan is um shameful, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, you know, you you couldn't drown I mean, a rat with one of these. Did you things. hear the
1: video? Did you try?
9: I haven't heard the video. I've read. I've read the story, but I haven't. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I imagine it's kind of like the time that. Um, you know the story about that time that that Australian kid um smashed an egg on some government minister's head, and the government minister like turned around and punched him in the face. That's kind of oh, what, what it reminded out. me of. Yeah,
1: Well <laughs> no, I, the, I haven't. Heard there was there's yet. a video. Yeah, there's a video of of the lady as as she does it, and um, the the guy is. I'm trying to describe it, of course, because it's radio. But there, the the guy is running with the torch, and then the lady just kind of steps out of the line and goes pew pew pew, and the guy just kind of looks at her like, "What's the matter with you?" But this is how this, this is, is how excited day. it got. This is how excited the whole thing got. Tokyo aren't That's it. <laughs> Tokyo Olympics aren't safe. And that was it. That yeah. was the the whole uh, there was there was no punching in the face. Let's put it that way.
9: Yeah, I mean, I know. I it, it's I love living here, but it is frustrating for me sometimes that have like like there is huge public dissatisfaction with the Olympics. And and that is I think the the main um like, I think physical resemblance we've seen of all of that frustration is some lady with a, a 25 cent pew pew gun shooting the Olympic torch, you know. And I think uh, New Zealand, uh, Japan is an is a economic powerhouse in the world. I think it needs to step up, you know. I think it needs to bring out literally some big guns and, you know, bring maybe a super soaker, maybe a fire hose next time, you know, and uh, yeah. step up its, its water based protests. Yeah. Like, a, maybe even a water <laughs> balloon. Like, come on.
1: Honestly. <laughs> a water balloon would be good i like this yeah. uh, sir christopher gilbert yeah. is in tokyo from the shift here okay i think that we did the uh the snake story you got here because we talked an awful lot about reptiles yeah. biting people in the in, in the genitals um but you have this two other stories from around the world one's from india and one's from america can we touch on them both before we're done
9: of course, can I just quickly say about the being bitten on the genitals by a snake story? I just wanted to talk about that because that's something I actually check for every night uh, when I get up and go to the toilet in the dark. Sometimes I don't want to turn on the light in the bathroom, right? Because I don't want to wake up. But I'm like, no, I have to turn on the light in the bathroom because what if there's a snake in the toilet that's going to bite me in my um my my manly region? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I i do a nightly I do a nightly snake check, just dumb, but yeah. Um, yeah. So um, American Airlines, right? American Airlines, are, you know, maybe like one of the, the, you know, the longest standing, you know, airlines in the world is a, a staple of American travel, um, but is uh, very able to um, or liable to be bullied by um, a group of smart Alec teenagers, um, has mm-hmm. two flights to the Bahamas, cancelled one of them because it doesn't know how to stand up to a 14 year old. Uh, Bahamas flight canceled after high schoolers stage a mask rebellion. Um, this is just embarrassing. Charlotte, North Carolina. A Bahamas-bound flight was canceled on Monday after a high school a uh, group of high school passengers refused to wear masks. American Airlines Flight 893 had been scheduled to depart Charlotte uh, to go to the Bahamas. Um, irate passengers told the news, however, that mechanical problems. Uh, blah, 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 no, that's just not relevant, uh, followed by a mask rebellion left them stranded in the city overnight. Um, Some people's vacations are ruined. They are only going for a couple of nights. Now they have to get rebooked, said one passenger. Now you might be wondering, oh, you know, mask rebellion, those people are kind of crazy, you know, those no-mask people, they're kind of violent. Um, No details at all. Um. The, the only about what these people actually did they're teenagers I've, the quotes here include disruptive one person says it was bad first they were yelling then they were cursing they were being very obnoxious <laughs> 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 they were talking back like a bunch of smart alecky smart alecky kids almost like they are a bunch of smart alecky kids like it are. wasn't all of and this person says it wasn't all of them i would say 75 to 80 percent of them were being terrible kids saying smart stuff
6: <laughs>
9: and so you now my know know bahamas vacation's ruined what happened?
1: I would really be willing to bet that they um, they basically got on the plane and they were like, I'm taking the stupid mask off. Like, yeah, oh, take your mask off. No, man, you can't do that. What are they going to do, man? Kick us off the plane? Actually, yeah, that's exactly what they're going to do is they're actually going to just ground the plane for the night. And that's probably what happened.
9: Well, no, they didn't do that. They, As, as you said, they grounded, they, grounded, they grounded the plane. They should have just kicked the dumb kids off like you're mm-hmm. a kid go like go away get off the plane kid you're just a little kid they've got like security guards with guns and stuff you know in the airport and it's like why can't you just grow grab a 14 year old by the air lobe and just like flick them off the emergency exit you know you know maybe you can yeah. entice them with an inflatable slide that looks like so much fun for a child everyone wants to go down one of those so i don't <laughs> know i'm just them. like american airlines yeah
1: where's uh where's grandma ah. when you need her hey
9: I just I just feel like if you can't stand up to a 14-year-old maybe maybe you shouldn't have your own airline you know if i if i was going to be bullied by a 14-year-old i would feel like my self confidence is quite low uh, maybe i feel kind of poorly about myself i'm not going to go start my own business in a hurry maybe i have to work on myself a little bit figure out some of my inner insecurities and then i can go start like you know like a a billion dollar company so if you can't deal with kids, American Airlines maybe get into a new line of work. Um, I also have a story from India. Um, where is it? Where is it? It's a really good one. Oh yeah, here it is. Uh, water buffaloes, um, awesome animal. Uh, apparently, um, you know they like they like a bit of the um, a bit of a a bit of a little bit of a you know a bit of a wink wink after after the uh, hard day's work and. Um, <laughs> They like to to, lock, to like get together, lock horns, and a bit of a, you know, bit of a, a shilly dilly in, in the long grass. You know
1: what they I'm talking little, about. Um, have a little of the sauce there after work. Is that what you're saying?
9: That's exactly what I'm saying. They're like, look, look, you know, they're on the moonshine, and uh, not only that, but um, maybe I think in a self-cognizant rebellion against their masters, got a, a bunch of farmers arrested. So I heard of drunk. I, I like drunk here because it, it, it assumes that like, the water buffaloes would not have um, dobbed their masters in if they were not drunk. You know, It was their fault for getting drunk. <laughs> um, a bunch of drunk Indian buffaloes exposed a hidden stash of contraband liquor and got a group of farmers arrested. Um, the three tipsy buffaloes are so subject. How do you know they're tipsy? Blew the cover of an illegal liquor stash in India after getting drunk from water in a trough that had hid the moonshine bottles. Uh, police seized a total of 101 bottles of liquor from the buffalo's stable and arrested three farmers for the illegal selling of alcohol in the dry and uh, an otherwise dry state of Gujarat. Uh, one of the farmers had called a vet when the buffaloes stopped eating and started thrashing at the mouth. Oh, that's terrible! The next day, the buffaloes began jumping around. This is okay. This is what the story actually says. I'm not making this up. This is insider.com. The next day, the buffalo started jumping around willy nilly and continued frothing, (laughs) prompting the farmers to call yet another vet. That's a great story. The second vet noticed a strange smell coming from the trough and discovered that the water inside had turned yellow. The farmers told him the color was from branches falling into the water, but the vet reported them to the authorities... According to the news, when the cops raided the stable, they found bottles of vodka, whiskey, and other liquor worth about four hundred and thirty bucks tucked inside the trough. The animals probably drank the water laced with the liquor, and uh, so you know, jumping around, willy uh, nilly, willy nilly, as their um, water buffaloes are prone to do after a, uh, a
1: hard day's work. Slurring water buffalo.
9: I love yeah, it. I'm I'm slurring my words too. I don't know if you <laughs> noticed. I'm like saying a whole bunch of words willy nilly as, you know. I mean, it's only 430 bucks of liquor as well. That's what I like, you know. It's like 430 bucks. That's like um, that there, there's there's just like one one really really optimistic night at BC Liquor for me, you know. And it's like, but it's enough <laughs> to get these guys arrested. I don't know what they're playing at.
1: Well, it's probably a lot of booze there, I suppose. Um, Sir Christopher yeah. Gilbert and his uh, slurring uh, buffaloes, moo. Thank you for being here, buddy.
9: Yeah, I like that. Yeah, what what sound does does a drunk buffalo make? We'll, we'll talk about that next week.
1: <laughs> the International Dispatch live from Tokyo will keep you up to date with the uh, inside temperature check of what's going on over there too. Great to see your face, buddy. We'll see you soon.
0: See you soon. Thanks, guys.